0: You're listening to The Healthy Sensitive. Everyone, welcome to the Healthy Sensitive, a podcast for highly sensitive beatniks and creative renegades and introverts who are trying to figure out how to live their best lives and somehow stay sane in the process of that. I'm Leah Burkhart, your hostess, and today, um, as I'm looking out the window, I am I'm looking out upon some oh so very orange skies. I believe the air quality where I'm currently residing is actually decent, which, and by decent, I mean only slightly hazardous. (laughs) I think I'm in the 100s? I don't know. But basically I'm surrounded by a lot of hot fire and I'm getting rained on by ash. And I am not alone. I am one of oh so very many people in the entire west coast of the United States of America where that is happening. And so just what we needed. <laughs> like, um, yeah, so we can add a new variable that to our already quite lengthy list of challenges. We have political unrest. We have COVID-19 pandemic. We have economic uncertainty. And now the very real physical uncertainty of not knowing whether or not I will be here in my home uh, for much longer and the even more precarious circumstances of those who have already been evacuated from their homes, I mean, it's heavy, the air is heavy, the world is literally quite dark where I'm standing, and so it seems to me like there could be no better time than right now to talk about hope. Um, it's interesting. For some reason, it just kept nagging at me. I meant to talk about this earlier, but, you know, I, I do try and get podcasts out once a week, every week, and it just kept getting extended and extended because my bandwidth was oh so low. And, you know, it was really interesting the other day, and quite literally the other day, so this was Monday, I Labor Day, so I was walking, trying to get in an absurd quantity of steps because I'm in this step bet. And so I thought, oh, I'll walk all over the place and get chores done. And the air quality was fabulous on Monday afternoon. So that wasn't an issue. So 36 hours later, woohoo. No, I guess 48. But at any rate, um, I'm, when I'm on my way, I, I pass by what appears to be a protest. And it's relatively small. I mean, I guess I should say it's relative to what I'm used to. So I'm originally from the Bay Area in San Francisco, California. So a protest in San Francisco is a whole other animal. But in a relatively small city, Salem, Oregon, I'm looking and seeing one side of a street at the Capitol in the city where we have Trump supporters and another side of the street where it appears most are Black Lives Matter protesters um, amongst a number of other things. I mean, really, if you break it down, if you, it's overgeneralizing. But in essence, what you've got is liberals and conservatives with very different uh things that they're protesting now as i understand it those who were trump supporters were really just anti-protesters i guess is a way of putting that um they were trying to express their their loyalty and their enthusiasm for the current president um in juxtaposition with the black lives matter protesters who were uh, expressing their angst and disappointment with the current administration so that's as clinical and sanitary a description that I can give but at any rate I'm watching this whole thing from sort of a distance I mean I'm pretty close but I'm not in the mix of it and I am transfixed by it and I'm watching as the ebb and flow because there's again a street dividing these two groups and I can see the two taunting each other and I won't name names but there was definitely one group of people who were not six feet distanced apart and were not wearing masks and I am just Oh, face to palm. And all I can think is, I don't care about your politics. Just please at least wear a mask. But no, because apparently we've politicized even that in this country. Oh, blessed (laughs) U.S.A. And as I'm looking at this whole thing go down, I'm watching an ebb and flow occur where one side starts to encroach inward toward the other side of the street and then they back off and then the other side tr- starts to encroach and there's a it almost looks fluid and it was the same struggle that seems to be happening inside of me and I'm not saying that there's a good and a bad in this struggle or, or you know Trump supporters are good or bad or Black Lives Matter people are good I'm not trying to go there in this podcast um, what I will say is that there was a struggle, but it was, or a tension, there was a tension. And it matched what the tension has been like inside of myself, not politically, but this, I have this experience within myself where one part of me is warring to just engulf me in a sense of helplessness and hopelessness and fatigue. I think that's really what it's about. It's fatigue, um, uh, emotional fatigue, physical fatigue, just because it's so much it's just too much for um well I don't know if I should say it's too much because it can always get worse but it feels like so much it feels heavy and for me to be experiencing that and I would consider myself to be in perhaps the best case scenario relative to many others I don't have children that I need to be schooling at home I so far I'm still employed I am so far safe you know discounting the air quality of perhaps um, so far i'm still healthy any one of these things can change at any moment but relative to many other people who are in far worse circumstances i'm in a pretty good spot so if i'm feeling exhausted what must this world be feeling so it, it almost feels like what I'm experiencing internally is this inner battle and I don't know how much of it is personal and how much of it is me co- like feeling the collective suffering of so many people because we are humans and we do connect together and we do feel each other's pain on a neuro scientific like a on a biological level like we are social creatures and so and then not knowing how much of it is my stress and how much of it is the suffering and feeling of others and how much of it, it's like, why do I feel helpless? And there's another part of me that is distinctly and defiantly hopeful and thinking, no, <laughs> like it's good. This is, it's okay. It's not good, but things are going to be okay. Maybe not for me, but in the long run, this is life happening. The world is just going about its business being a world, as Elizabeth Gilbert said so eloquently in a more recent Instagram post, you know, and she said, don't worry about the world, the world's doing its job. It's being a world, a crazy whirlwind of a world, but that's not up to us individually to fix. It's up to us to keep, you know, and she pointed to her her chest and said, this is who we are. Well, this is where we live. In our headspace. And this is where we are. This is, this is who we are. This is in our heart space. And so that is the one area underneath all of the struggle. So it's almost like there's me that's looking at the world. There's a struggle I'm feeling within myself of this back and forth, an ebb and a flow. One minute, I'm completely feeling like, no, I've got this. And the next minute, oh, God, I don't got this. I'm so tired. I'm so tired. And I can only imagine. I have friends with family members in the hospital right now. I have friends who are unemployed and who don't know what's coming next. And they don't know what they're going to do. They might be losing their homes. I know of people who are being evacuated right now. And, I mean, extraordinary challenges when layered upon layered I mean it couldn't always be worse but wow the suffering so what better time then as I said to start talking about hope now initially when I started looking into hope I thought oh dear this isn't going to be helpful because the definition of hope is the belief and or expectation that a desire will be made real something good will happen um I'm always a little reluctant to go there because anytime there's an expectation of really anything, I've sort of subscribed to the philosophy that, you know, our happiness is the, the, the well, it's whatever our expectations are minus, or it is reality minus our expectations. So if our expectations are quite low, then the reality will be great, will improve our sense of happiness. But if our expectations are high and the reality is lower than that, well, then we're always going to have an experience of well, a low amount of happiness and joy. And I suppose that's fine, all well and good. But then is there no room for hope and expectation then? Should we just not go there? Evidently not. So, some interesting information that I was looking through. The first is by Robert Sapolsky. You may know this gentleman's name. He's a professor, uh, well, I don't know if he's a professor, I know he's a researcher at Stanford. I assume he professes as well. But he also wrote the book Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. So he does a lot of work as it relates to stress and the stress response in our bodies. He's a neuroscientist. Uh, and he, in his documentary, was studying social behaviors of baboons in the wild. And the more he studied, he difficulty was not what brings down social creatures like baboons or humans. His claim is that it's really a lack of control, a lack of predictability, and a lack of social support that makes stress really corrosive. Interesting to think about that, right? A lack of control, lack of predictability, and a lack of social support. We are right smack dab in the middle of all of that. It's not that just that we're stressed. We're stressed, sure, but we have a sense of there being no control. There's a sense of there being no ability to predict what's going to happen tomorrow or in the next hour. And there's a sense of, well, I can't really lean on my social support in the same way that I used to be able to do because I quite literally and physically am being told not to do that because I might give someone COVID or I might get it from someone else and then spread it thereafter. Yikes, no wonder we're losing our marbles. No wonder we're losing our damned minds. So then, what might hope have to teach us? Is there any benefit? Or is it only making things worse to have any level of expectation that things might improve? What I keep reading suggests no hope is exactly what we need. So Kyle Robertson uh, did a TEDx talk. And in his talk, he he made a claim that hope is ferocious, it's persistent, it's necessary. It's a powerful force for invention, for change, for social justice. To hope is to be human. Beyond that, uh, according to Snyder's hope theory, Uh, hopefulness is a life-sustaining human strength comprised of three distinct but related components number one is goals thinking the clear conceptualization of valuable goals number two is pathways thinking the capacity to develop specific strategies to reach those goals and then the final is agency thinking the ability to initiate and sustain the motivation for using those strategies another way of looking at that is well having self-efficacy but we'll go into that later So then what are the different types of hope that we can, you know, is it just hope period or is there variations of that? Well, Elaine Houston wrote an article uh, and she gave four examples of hope. One is realistic. So it's something that's, you know, I can realistically hope that the sun will shine tomorrow. (laughs) I can realistically hope that I will wake up and be able to walk in my case or whatever, something that is realistic relative to your life story right now. Um, utopian is the next one and that's where you like if we keep doing this we can move toward a better brighter future that's going to be pristine and lovely utopian hope is what a lot of uh, inspirational speakers lean on when they're trying to motivate a crowd to to persevere through adversity there's chosen hope which is you know despite all of what I'm facing right now I'm going to choose hope even though I don't have high expectations of the future um, and then finally is there's transcendent hope, which includes sort of the a patient sort of hope, you know, if you just be patient, all things kind of will, will uh, work out. There's generalized hope. And then there's universal hope, sort of a, a broader sense. So transcendent is beyond just me, but now moving toward a larger vision. Okay, so fine. Those are all the different var- varieties of hope that we can look at. but what might be the benefits of even engaging in this like I want to see some tangible benefits damn it (laughs) because I'm not feeling like I want to rally right now I'm feeling like I want to crawl in a hole and say damn it I give up uncle let me tap out I'm done well here are the tangible benefits those who insist on being hopeful have better athletic performance they have increased levels of well-being their immune system responses are better they live longer uh, they tend to manage stress and it protects against chronic anxiety. It increases their motivation. Uh, they have better health outcomes as better as well as better professional outcomes. Improved life satisfaction to have hope generally is linked with having some level of um, not just positivity. what am I thinking about? I am optimistic, optimism. Uh, and it maintains positive involvement in life regardless of limitations. So if one has hope in the possibility of a better future, we will keep engaging in the things that will increase the likelihood of getting to that better future. So it's sort of like, it's the concept of, well, I'll never hit this ball with this bat. It's like, well, no, not if you never swing. And if you keep swinging, even though you have yet to like take the bat and hit the ball, every time you swing it is a defiant action of hope. Every time you get out of bed and engage in the world, that is defiant hope. It is saying to the world, I am going to keep going. I'm going to keep going up to bat. Because even though I've never gotten, you know, I've never hit a a home run yet, but I have hope enough that if I keep swinging, the odds are better than if I don't swing at all. And, you know, it's interesting because in... Oh, who was it that said this? Uh, I believe it. Oh, Brian Sexton, who is a researcher on resiliency, writes, the opposite of depression is not happiness. It's hope. So to have depression is not to be sad. To have depression is to be hopeless. It is to feel like there is never... It's Sadness is a, an experience that is appropriate depending on what's happening in your life. If you've lost your home, it is appropriate to be sad. If you are ill, it is appropriate to be sad. You know, sadness is an emotion and is uh, a sensation in the body that is not to be hindered or or to be downcast as a negative thing, although the experience of it can feel negative. But depression is the sense that that sadness is never going to go away. It will always be this way. There will never come a new beginning. So then, if there are benefits to having hope, So much so that it even increases our resiliency, our ability to bounce back and persevere. Well, how do we build hope? One way is by increasing our sense of self-efficacy. So what is Um, self-efficacy? Self-efficacy is the sense that It's not the sense that, oh, don't worry, it will be okay. And this is huge in yoga, too, by the way, the philosophy of yoga. They go as far away from it will be okay as you can imagine. No yogi would tell you, don't worry, kid, it'll get better. Because there's no guarantee of that. In fact, it can get much, much worse at any moment. There's no telling. This world is dark and miserable and lonely just as much as it is beautiful and miraculous. Like It's... It is all the things to live in a world to be a human is to be it, it, to, to do human well, does not mean that you are happy all the time. It means you feel all the things. And so that is going to include difficult things. It just is. So what yogis would say is, no, 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 I'm not telling you it will be okay. I don't want to work with you on making it okay. That is beyond our control. I mean, we don't even have control over our own selves for Christ's sake. But we do have a measure of influence on what's going on inside of us. So I can't promise you it will be okay. But I can promise you that if you build some self-efficacy, you will have confidence in yourself. Enough such that you will know you will be okay. In so much as you know you will be able to respond with the best behavior possible, given the circumstances you've got to work with. So then how do you build self-efficacy? Well, one is by having mastery experiences. So engaging in things that give you the sense, engaging in things you know you can be successful in doing. This is huge in coaching, by the way. Uh, it's all, they're huge in, uh, huge. Man, I'm using that word all the time. I feel like I'm getting that from someone and I'm a little scared by it, to admit who. Oh my God, it's huge. Um, apologies, listeners. <laughs> uh, in coaching, this is used quite frequently. This concept of under and overdeliver. So if you're trying to build an experience of hopefulness, Look around you and ask yourself, what is a small thing that you can achieve today? Maybe it's just getting out of bed and taking a shower. Maybe it's just curling up next to someone that you love if you have that luxury. Maybe it's cooking yourself a meal. Maybe it's driving fast enough to beat a fire. Whatever your circumstances are. And if you're in a place right now where you're feeling hopeless and helpless, but you're still pretty safe, there aren't fires consuming, and you're feeling like, oh, well, crap, now I'm feeling like I'm silly for feeling helpless or hopeless. No, you're not. We're all in this together. And look around you if you're feeling low energy, and you're feeling a lack of motivation, and just ask, what is one single thing that I can do so Glennon Doyle in her book says a lot, you know, forget about one day at a time. What is the next right thing? So what is one singular thing you can do for yourself to reduce your suffering, to make it suck a little less? The next through building self efficacy is living vicariously through someone. So looking at someone that you, you you admire and that is relatable to you. So not just someone that it's like far and away, but someone that you know, someone that you care about, someone that you can see, touch, feel sit next to it's in this person is in your life and you're seeing them be successful and you're saying you know to watch them to link to that to link to people who are getting through the next is modeling experiences so that's now moving beyond into the realm of people who are sort of your role models and that can be someone that you know but frequently it's someone beyond our scope it's it's sort of like uh, it could be an athlete uh, a star it could be a political hero it whatever be a cartoon I don't care Um, but just looking to someone to a character to a person that you admire and that you would love to emulate and then the final one and perhaps the most important is emotional and physical experiences engaging in the here and now in a very tangible physical and emotional way that links you to something that improves your your experience of your self-efficacy so Exercise is an excellent example of this. In fact, I'm going to go through a number of ways to like, how do you improve your emotional and physical experience in in the now? (laughs) Um, So I've crafted uh, an acronym. This was originally, it's really for um, highly sensitive people, but it it could work for anyone. These are just things that I found through my research that are imperative for HSPs to really um, adhere to. And it's the acronym is STRONGER. So S, having a spiritual practice. So if you're trying to increase your sense of self-efficacy, your sense of hopefulness, you want to have your like experiences that, are, that increase your emotional and physical capacity. A spiritual practice is huge. And I want to be clear about this. A spiritual practice does not have to mean uh, prayer or uh, being a part of a specific faith, although it is fine if that works for you beyond find even. In fact, even yogis would say, at least in Krishnamacharya's uh, lineage would say, yeah, you know, if you're trying to link to something that you can, that can extend and expand your capacity. Uh, God is an excellent thing to link to. And then he pauses and says, unless you've got some ambivalent relationship with the concept of God, then don't go there. (laughs) So he's very careful not to subscribe to any one religion, but rather to encourage people to link to something that is bigger than themselves. And that brings them an experience of, of broadening of lightening of taking a breath. So a spiritual practice can be something like gardening. It can be going out into nature it's just it links you to something beyond yourself. The next is T, time, time to recharge. And I, I specifically put time to recharge instead of time in or time out or time this or time. It's just time to do something that recharges you. Now as an introvert, the kinds of things that recharge me often includes time spent alone. It's things like going into my own space and sitting quietly. It's Um, reading a book. It's cuddling with my dog. It is not going on a date or going on a a social gathering or connecting with other humans. I love my humans. I just, when I'm recharging, more often than not, I'm doing that um, in a quiet space. For some people, though, recharging can be with other humans. Some of my closest friends are highly extroverted people, or at least they have more experiences of wanting to connect to people in a very tangible way than do I. And so for them, time to recharge would mean organizing events that, whether it can be online or social distance events or, you know, whatever, it's connecting, making the time to recharge, whatever that looks like to you. R is relationships. We all have relationships. And I did segment this out to be different from time to recharge because whether or not you're an introvert, an extrovert, you want loud and boisterous events or quiet and subdued ones, we all need our humans. So look to the people that you connect with most. And these are people that 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 make you feel alive. These are people that you want to be when you grow up. <laughs> like these are the people that bring you joy to connect with them, even when you're both suffering. Cultivate these relationships. Lean on each other in a way that makes sense to you. O is outlet. Having a creative outlet. This seems to be imperative for highly sensitive people in particular because With HSPs, we digest things so deeply, we process things so deeply that having an outlet is crucial. So that can be knitting, coloring, writing, drafting. It can be splattering paint on a canvas. It doesn't really matter. Just whatever it is that is a creative outlet for you. and is nourishment. Um, And I mean that both with regard to nourishing food as well as nourishing experiences nourishment means turning off the news and turning on something that invigorates and inspires you although if you're in a situation where you got to keep it on in case you might have to be evacuated you know no judgment Um, but all I'm saying is intentionally moving away from say politicized things that aren't contributing to your physical well-being in this moment and really going and tunneling into things that inspire you bring you hope Bring you that sense of there being a possibility for a brighter tomorrow, hour from now, whatever. And then of course, nourishing food, balancing your blood sugar, making sure that you're eating foods that have protein and have fiber in every meal and in every snack. This is that's the simplest way I can I can put it. It's like, do you have a vegetable? Do you have a protein? Cool. I don't care if a cookie is also tacked onto all of that. Just just eat things that balance your blood sugar. Because what I know is true about stress is you will crave carbohydrates, fats, salts, sugars, all that stuff. But that will actually deplete our energy and it will give us this roller coaster ride and it will aggravate the emotional roller coaster we might already be on. So, eating nourishing food is really important in that and again, going back to that emotional and physical experience to help cultivate self-efficacy, the more stabilized our physical blood sugar is, the more stable our brains are. The gut-brain connection is so, so very, um, I want to say intense, I want to say, um, the the inner connection cannot be disputed. G is for growth, having some kind of a growth exercise, doing something that encourages you to be courageous and doing something that goes a little outside of what would be just standardized comfortable my growth exercise today was quite simply just to go 33 miles into a direction I didn't know to go get a stupid air purifier like it's gonna help I don't really know but I have a dog and I have a cat at home and the smoke in the air is not great so as far as I'm concerned any little thing that I can do to improve the quality for my little fur babies I'm on it (laughs) so the it was wild I as I'm driving in the car I went from seeing yellow skies to orange skies to almost red to almost black well gray I mean it wasn't black like pitch black dark but very very dark for 11 a.m in the morning and then blue like I was out of the smoke and into a northern part of Oregon where the smoke hadn't yet reached and then I got the air purifier put it in my car and had to drive 33 miles back into it and watched as my body responded to the stimulus around me and I wasn't thinking directly about the circumstances because I was listening to an audiobook. I was really just thinking I want to get the hell home so I can bunker in and then hurry up and get to work so that I can work my evening shift, like all the things. And so as I'm going through all of this, I'm thinking, whoa, like, every part of me did not want to leave. I wanted to just stand still. It's like, no, don't move, freeze, don't leave. And it's like, no, damn it. Like, Do everything you can to improve the circumstances of your life right now. Nowhere within a 10-mile radius of you has an air purifier, but one place 30 miles away does. Go get the damn thing, Leah. It's not that big a deal. So that might not seem like a big deal to anyone who's listening to this, but it was a big deal for me because it was terrifying. (laughs) The next is exercise. E for exercise. Um, Physical movement is, is absolutely... Oh, it's a game changer. It's the best way I can describe it. When we are tense, when we are stressed, we hold all of that tension in our bodies. So to move helps move around the tension. You might remember I mentioned Sapolsky, is that was his name? Yeah, Sapolsky. He talks about our stress response and how it works in the body. Well, the way it works for a zebra is, you know, they start off in what's called homeostasis. So just generalized, peaceful fine ness and then a lion comes into the, the field. Well now the zebra's like, no, oh, screw that, I'm out of here. And then the whole system creates a stress response to get him well, haul an ass out of that prairie or wherever he is, relative to the lion. And then once he gets away, assuming he does, well then fine. Boom, done. But we humans have anticipatory stress, so we anticipate the possibility of something bad happening. And so our bodies produce all of the same stress responses on a physical level as does the zebra, but the thing we anticipated may not actually happen. Now to have that anticipatory stress is kind of cool if what you're trying to do is survive because we can imagine all of these worst case scenarios and avoid a lot of the potential for uh, negative consequences by planning ahead. That's why we've survived so well so long. And... Well, the problem is we've created a world that doesn't necessarily always have real stressors in the sense that an actual lion is chasing us or that an actual fire has hit, you know, engulfing my home. But I'm anticipating the possibility of the fires hitting my home. And so my body is producing all of this cortisol, adrenaline, and all the umpteen, you know, variety of other stress hormones or chemicals that are going. So talk about overwhelm. My heart rate is going up. I'm just marinating in these stress chemicals. Well, if I move my body, it uses all of that to its advantage. I burn it off as fast as I'm pumping it in. And that loosens the system and it reduces the amount of inflammation. Because you might also want to remember, we are still in the midst of a pandemic. And if you've got smoke going out there, our lung capacity goes down. Our immune system is already like struggling a little. Stress is not what we need more of. Because stress also dampens our body's capacity for um, like, our immune system response. So just what we need, as I said. But exercise is terrific. Just, ladies and gentlemen, if you are anywhere on the West Coast, do not, I repeat, do not do your exercise outside. Do your steps indoors, dang it. So there's exercise. And then finally, rest. Rest is not to be underestimated. Sleep is for the weak is wrong. When we get enough sleep, we produce T-killer cells that are T-killer... Um, cells that are aimed at helping defend off any invaders like COVID 19 or cancer cells that we produce within our bodies. And so getting enough rest is absolutely essential. When we rest, we recharge enough so that we can live to fight another day, <laughs> so to speak. So when you put all of this together, once again, stronger, S T R O N G E R. Spiritual practice, time to recharge, relationships, outlets, nourishment, growth, exercise, and rest. When it, when you're, it's not that you have to hit every one of these eight things every day, just what we would really need, right? Like, oh, great, she's giving us more homework. It's really about looking at all of these areas and asking yourself, which area right now probably needs the most help? And you'll notice I'm not even talking about the culture. I'm not talking about politics. I'm not talking about anything else. I'm only talking about these small things that we can do for ourselves. Because right now, in a moment of hopelessness, this is not the time to say, how do I fix the world? Now, I want to be clear. I'm going to start talking about service in a second here. I'm not saying don't help your fellow man. But what I'm saying is stop looking outside of yourself for the answers. I don't want to hear it. Don't talk about how Trump is the devil and he's the one who caused the fires and he is personally himself blowing the wind together so that we will have worse fires. Don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear about how Biden is the savior and he will fix it all and will make it better. Flip that around. I don't want to hear about how Trump is a hero and he, whatever the QAnon, Crapable, crapola, and how Biden is just part of some network of whateverness that's gonna destroy the integrity of our country. Neither of those narratives (laughs) is helpful. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Stop. I'm not saying don't vote. I'm just saying knock it off. You can't when you're in the midst of fire, pandemic, economic uncertainty, and also a physical sense of just not knowing what comes next. The best thing you can do is go back and tunnel inward. What do I have some measure of control and influence on? Oh, well, I have some measure of control and influence on my own system. If you keep your capacity intact, you're also keeping your your mind intact. You're increasing your capacity to make good decisions at the time that you need to be making those decisions instead of feeling paralyzed with indecision because there are so many overwhelming variables involved. Try and think smaller because if you want a sense of hope, I'm not saying don't have hope for a better country or future or this or that. What I'm saying is bring it down a notch. Take it one step at a time. It's sort of like we're living in a world right now. I don't know if you've ever played video games like this. Um, I'm sure many of you might have at one point. But where you're in the race car and it's the dark version. So it's sort of like, ooh, you're, you're doing good racing your little car around when it's all light out. But what about if you only have a small radius in front of you that you can see? Collectively, that's where we're all at right now. We're all trying to operate in a world where we can only see a few feet ahead of us. And that was probably always true but to some extent we felt like we had a greater level of predictability, a greater level of social support and a greater level of control. We felt that way. Whether or not that was real, that's how we all felt like cumulatively. And that's been stripped away from us. We can rely less on our social support. We have to rely less on a sense of control and we have far less predictability than we thought we ever had. Like we're, it's being stripped away. So when you're in a circumstance like that, you've got to keep your eyes directly in front of you. You can't look to your periphery because your periphery is dark. You can't see anything beyond what's directly in front of you. And so this is why I just implore anyone to bring it back down into the practices that will increase your capacity the most. Because what that does is it gets you out of the world's way. It's you become someone that's an asset to your community as opposed to a real legitimate liability. When you can ask yourself, okay, I'm feeling depleted, I'm feeling trapped, I'm feeling miserable, I'm feeling whatever the dark thing is, and I'm desperate to have a sense of hope. Have you engaged in a spiritual practice today? Have you linked with something bigger than yourself that you can resonate with? Have you taken some time to recharge? If you haven't, stop, go do it now. I know you've got kids at home and you've got families and you've got work. But, oh, honey, sweetie, sugar bear, if you're trying to help your family, your children, when you are taxed to the max, you are useless to them. The best thing you can do is take two minutes, 60 seconds, 15 seconds, whatever amount you've got. Take a breath. Link to something from, that's bigger than yourself. Take some time to recharge so that you can get back in it and take it one decision at a time. Your relationships. Your relationships. We cannot do this alone. We've got to do it with less social support than we're used to. But connect to your people. Say to them, I'm vulnerable and I'm scared and I'm lonely. Can I, can I have your ear? And if you're not recharged enough to do it, don't pick up the phone. Recharge first and then call them back. <laughs> Next is oh outlet. You know, engage in something. Be defiant in like every... I, I was talking to a really close friend of mine. And she said, any practice that you can engage in that brings you a sense of joy is a kind of protest against the darkness around us. You are saying with defiance, I will not let you consume me just yet. So anything that allows you to take in what you're doing or what you're seeing, what you're feeling and make something constructive and beautiful out of it. It doesn't just help you, it helps anyone around you. These are potent, powerful times we're in. Channel it into something beautiful. Nourishment, nourish your body by getting real solid healthy food nourish your mind get off of social media get off of the news unless you absolutely need to like have whatever notifications you need turned on for your physical safety outside of that turn it off it is not going to help you stop it <laughs> um, engage in something that is a growth exercise but only in so much as you have capacity for Maybe the thing that's your growth exercise is something as small as venturing off to get an air purifier and get home. <laughs> like, I mean, that's what mine was today. Exercise, move your body and rest. Get as much sleep as you can. Now, I want to go a little bit beyond this because it's not just, I don't want to say that, um, you know, like I've said, get out of people's way. Don't just make it about the outside. But there should be a tipping of the hat to this concept of service. So a woman named Constance Scharf uh, mentions both gratitude and service. And I think they're important pieces to bring into the fold. To have gratitude, it is very, very difficult to be grateful and to be stressed at exactly the same moment. It's, you can go back and forth pretty quickly, but to be grateful, like for example, I am so grateful right now that in this moment, I'm physically safe. In this moment, my fur babies are safe. That could change, but right now they are safe. And I am so grateful. I am grateful right now that I can speak into a microphone and maybe there's someone out there who hears it and maybe for a few moments, something gets triggered in them that improves their experience even marginally, hopefully, (laughs) there's that hope again. And I am oh so grateful that I even though there's so much uncertainty going around, For the most part, I see a lot more people who are helping each other than I see people trying to eat each other's face off. I'm grateful. The next one is service. There is powerful, powerful medicine in serving someone who is in a worse position than you. Now, I always want to be careful with this because we can... I'm not. It's sort of like the put your own mask on before you put on someone next to you because if you are not at full capacity, you'll be useless and pretty soon someone's going to have to help you. So it, the reason I put service after the stronger acronym is because if you want to provide to others, you first have to make sure you're charged up enough to make that a sustainable enterprise. If you are, though, the power of looking to someone who's in a worse situation than you are and saying, can I help you? Is there some way I can serve you? Do you need something from me? We'd like to think that, oh, I'm being so selfless. But every time I do something good for someone else, on a physiological level, my experience of my own worldview improves. <laughs> so, and on a biophysical level, I'm not kidding. This is in many positive psychology texts and research studies that, research studies, is that redundant? Anyway, um, any anytime you can do an act of kindness for another person, you are doing an act of kindness for yourself. So, all of that is to say I, despite all of what's going on right now, am defiantly going to keep hoping. I'm not in a and I'm not hopeful that the world will get better, nor am I pessimistic and assuming it will only get worse. But I am hopeful in that I know I am capable of responding moment to moment. And I have hope that if every human being finds a way to do that, we will be in the best case scenario relative to whatever our options really are. I am hopeful that this can get better. I'm hopeful that in midst of all of these fires that are happening, maybe there's a kind of rejuvenation that comes with that, as is often the case with forest fires. Maybe on some level, politically, that's what's happening too. Maybe all of this terribly difficult political strife that we're going through is exactly the fire we needed to have real conversations. You know, I'm listening to more and more voices who are saying, you know, people are saying that, oh, this is so new. We weren't having these conversations before. But really it's just because more and more people are willing to have honest conversation about their actual experience. This was in a a TED Talk I was Well, it was the TED Radio Hour on NPR, and it was uh, talking about conflict or or conflict resolution. And one man was speaking uh, as a, a black man speaking to and saying, you know, from his perspective on things, "Hey, our we were already going through strife, but now we're willing to be honest about it. And those honest conversations are necessary. They're important. They're imperative." I'm not, those aren't, I'm not quoting him verbatim, but uh, he was very eloquent. I'd highly recommend taking a look uh, at the TED Radio Hour, Go to Conflict. He, if you listen to his own words, was very, very eloquent and spoke um, succinctly, but beautifully. And I'm hopeful that that's what's happening. That all of this ugliness is because we're ripping off all of the duct tape that's been piecemealing this ship that we've been on together. We're having less PC conversations, Yes. But at least they're honest and they're real. And I'm hopeful that we'll get through it and on the other side be a better community as a result, or at least a more honest one. That's where I want to be hopeful. And even if I'm wrong, I'm hopeful that I will be able to navigate with a level of integrity. I will continue to move in alignment with my values. And as I've mentioned many times before, they include things like health and my relationships. And, you know, again, having integrity enough to to practice what I preach. I am hopeful that I will be able to continue doing those things. And if you are feeling hopeless, remember the ways to improve your sense of hopefulness is to have reasonable, I'll call them smart goals, (laughs) goals. You know, to create a pathway in developing strategies to reach them and to continue to remember that you have agency. And if you're feeling like you don't have agency and you're overwhelmed, to always go back to that stronger acronym. Spiritual practice, time to recharge, having healthy relationships, having an outlet, nourishing your body, you know, growing, exercising, and resting. And when all else fails, be grateful for what you got because, you know three days ago, I was not in a pit of fire and smoke. And now I am. The next time I am not in a pit of fire and smoke, I will be grateful. So you never know the things that you're taking for granted until they're gone. It's not just a cliche. Um, I hope there's that word again, <laughs> that this was helpful to you. If you have questions, want to reach out, want to connect, uh, feel free to reach me at Leah at thehealthysensitive.com. You can also find me on my website, www.thehealthysensitive.com. Stay well, stay safe, and stay hopeful. Bye.